0: What's up, Main Streeters? This is the Main Street Insiders podcast, where we discuss personal finance, economics, and investing for the America First crowd. Together, we can learn to live more, spend less, and own our future. Let's roll. What's up, Main Streeters?
1: I am Luke Perlot. And I am Jeff Perlot, and today we're going to talk about the producing class and what that means. Because in the old days, we used to think in terms of blue-collar jobs and white-collar jobs, and we used to talk about the working class. But those definitions have changed, and it's important to understand how those definitions have changed, because we are all
0: at risk of being exploited by the elites. And with that, let's dive into the producing class.
1: So to start, we want to talk about two types of people. First, the elites. Members of the elites see two groups of people in society. The first group is the top 0.1% or 0.0001%. They think their job is to develop all the ideas, make all the decisions, reap all the rewards. And in the perfect world, they own everything. And in fact, the World Economic Forum literally had a video that came out, I think in 2016, that made predictions for the future, which obviously were predictions for their preferred future. And one of the slides said, you will own nothing." And be happy. Now, obviously, they're talking to us, the non elites, and saying, you will own nothing and be happy, which
0: the reverse of that is that they will own everything and tell us that we must be happy with it. So the World Economic Forum doesn't even try to keep their intentions hidden. You can literally go to their website and read their manifesto, their plan, where a small group of NGOs, governments, and big companies are going to run the whole world. And of course, their efforts are going to be coordinated by the World Economic Forum. And you can literally go to their website, and you can go click on the partners tab, and you can read all the organizations who are partners with the World Economic Forum. And one of them is BlackRock. It's one of the biggest wealth management firms in the world. And we've talked about them many times. And of course, BlackRock is going out and they're actually buying up houses. It's like just your neighbor's house is getting bought up by BlackRock. And they're using those as actually, they're great investments. BlackRock wants to own those assets for their funds. And that does two things. First of all, it makes it harder for you to own a house. Because BlackRock's got all this money and they're bidding against you and paying all cash. So it makes it really hard for you to go out and get a house. Instead, you have to rent from BlackRock. And two, if BlackRock someday were to decide that they didn't want to rent you a house, they could just say, sorry, we're not renting you a house. We own them all. Tough luck. Of course, BlackRock is the company that said that their CEO, Larry Fink, said that they want to force behaviors on people. This is a pretty big red flag that you have this company that's a partner with the World Economic Forum, buying up people's houses, preventing you from owning a house, and instead, you have to go rent from them. It reminds me a lot of the feudal system, the way things were run in medieval times when the king owned all the land And you just got to rent the land from the king to work on it. You didn't actually get to own it. If the king decided you don't get that land anymore, guess what? You didn't get that land anymore. They own it and you just till it. That's how the system works. And we do want to
1: add that we are not conspiracy theorists here, uh, but we do believe in human nature. And we've all seen in history that power corrupts. And it's sort of funny because you hear people talk about the Great Reset and that People who are a part of the World Economic Forum, the elites, are trying to create this Great Reset where they accumulate even more power, and us normal people have even less power. So then you have people like Glenn Beck, a renowned conservative, has a new book out, big book, called The Great Reset, because obviously only conspiracy theorists would believe in The Great Reset. And then Alex Jones has a book out called The Great Reset. So must be conspiracy theorists until, wait for it, Klaus Schwab, the leader of World Economic Forum, has a book out that he released years ago called The Great Reset. They're not even hiding what their plans are. It's whether we are listening and responding. So that's the elites. But there's another group, and it's the rest of us. It's the bottom 99.9%. In the elites' world, we own nothing, as we talked about. Our job is to provide the labor hours, and the grunt work for their plans. That's what we're good for. They're the queen bees, and we're just the workers. That's why historically because most of the jobs were physical jobs. Historians and politicians called us the working class. And they also called us as you had more white collar jobs, as we got into the 40s and 50s and 60s, then they termed it the middle class, but it's really the same thing. And the working class has long been considered the backbone of America. Traditionally, these are blue collar workers who fulfill those uncelebrated jobs, the factory employees, the tradesmen, like plumbers and electricians, the maintenance crews. We call these the forgotten men and women of America. One of the things we also forget about is that if they're not here, everything Thing shuts down.
0: Yeah. So look at what we saw in Canada when truckers decided that they were not going to ship goods anymore and said they were going to protest the vaccine mandates. You really realized how important something like truckers. You don't think when uh, when you buy something online, you don't think about all the steps it had to take to get there, all the uncelebrated warehouse employees and truckers and shipping employees who had to watch over that good and, and took part in the process to transport it from wherever it was made to your door. You don't think about that, but if those people went away. Now, all of a sudden, you couldn't buy things online, the entire economy would shut down. And so that's just one example of how important these people are to the economy, They're why we call them the backbone of America. So there was an article on
1: Substack, and I forget who the author was, but he was basically trying to redefine what the working class is, blue collar, white collar, and he broke it out into the physicals and the virtuals. So the physicals are what we traditionally consider the blue collar, and the virtuals are like the software engineers and the manager class who can work from their laptop. And one of the points that he was making is that the virtuals, for instance, in COVID weren't as affected because they're, they just got to keep doing their jobs remotely. They got to come home and not have to commute and not have to spend money on clothes and gas. They got paid the same amount of money and they just zoomed into work and their life went as usual. But if you were someone who was in a blue collar job and you were told you couldn't go to work or, or only some people could go to work, you know, your life was turned upside down. But one of the points that um, the article I think was trying to make is that the virtuals don't necessarily understand how much their life depends on the physicals. But regardless we're not even sure that that's how this should be divided because sometimes people think that oh no no there's the elites and then yeah we know there's the working class and we know there's the blue collar workers but you know those are all going to they're all going to get replaced by robots so we don't care about them and us virtuals as some people call them or us white collar workers us uh, software engineers and managers we're going to be fine because we make more income we can work remotely and this is a knowledge economy and we're all going to be fine but what we really want to stress And sort of define today when we talk about what the producing class is, we want to stress that we are all in this
0: together. And again, going back to that example of physicals versus virtuals, it's very easy to take the physicals for granted when everything's going smoothly. But then when things fall apart or when the physicals are prevented from doing their job, then you realize how important they are to the economy. Look again. We look at what happened after COVID. You had the labor shortages in the truckers and the labor shortages in the ports, and we didn't have enough workers to move all these goods. And all of a sudden, massive supply chain shortage, big time inflation, shelves are empty, all because the physicals weren't allowed to do their jobs. And you realize how important these people are. And again, they're the backbone of the economy. And the way that the elites treat the working class or the producing class follows a pretty predictable pattern throughout history. They exploit the labor of the masses to build their empires, and then when they don't need them anymore, they get rid of them when the desire for efficiency or quote-unquote creative destruction renders them obsolete. And that's how you have these once great American towns, booming factory cities that are now just rusted out and deserted because the elites got what they wanted from those communities and then they just let them all go. They kicked them to the curb when they didn't need them anymore. And with that pattern in mind, the definition of the working class needs updating because the elites are going to exploit any type of labor that can. So those virtuals, the engineers, IT workers, managers, accountants, All those white-collar workers are on the same path as the traditional working class of previous generations. So if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm I'm a manager, this isn't really going to affect me. I I don't work in a factory. I'm not a farmer. It is going to affect you. They're replacing you too. It's happening right now. You're just maybe a couple steps ahead of some of those previous working classes. The elites have their plans for you, whether you primarily work with a machine or a computer. Every single worker has their own goals, hopes, and dreams. They're not just an employee. That's why Main Street Insiders proposes this new name for America's everyday men and women, the producing class. You are part of the production process when you work, which is creating value. So you get a piece of the income that's created from that production process. So for example, when you work in a factory, it's very obvious example you're a part of creating a product. You're bringing value into that world. That product was not there before you showed up to work that day. And because you took part in creating that product and bringing value into the world, you get a piece of the income that comes out of it. That's your, the pay that you take home. And then assets are also a piece of the production process because they create value. So if you look at a stock, a stock is just a piece of a company that's out there creating value. So when you buy a share in Apple, Apple's creating these you know, of course, Apple's got a lot of problems and issues that we need to sort out. But Apple is also a great American brand, founded by a great American entrepreneur, and they're creating great products that, let's face it, are way better than the competition. And of course, we wish that they created those products in America with our workers instead of exploiting labor overseas. But regardless, when you own a piece of Apple, you're owning a piece of a company that's bringing value into the world, and it's the same way if you, you know, if you own a rental property. That's bringing value to people because everybody needs a place to stay. And so that is an asset. That's a piece of the production process or the value creation process. And that's why it's worth money. And that's why the elites want to cut you out of that process. They can increase their profit by producing as cheaply as possible. When they have a devastating obsession with cheap labor, they don't even try to hide it. They've demonstrated it over and over throughout history that they want to cut you out of this production process. And they do it in two ways, which is to cut you out of the production process by denying you a job or outsourcing that labor to somebody else, or they own all the assets like World Economic Forum is talking about doing.
1: So just for context, let's talk a little bit about a history of what we're calling the producing class. So the original American producing class was farmers. Unless you live in the country, you might not know many farmers, but 400 years ago, most Americans were farmers to some degree. Food was the most valuable resource. It took millions of workers to produce enough food for everybody. So how did the elites find cheap labor? Because we already talked about how elites are obsessed with cheap labor. Well, of course, those in the South imported millions of African slaves. And to remedy those evils,
0: 360,000 Americans died to give enslaved people their freedom. And after Civil War... As we went through the industrial revolution and more workers started shifting to factory labor, the farmers were considered obsolete. So it's kind of like the same dynamic you see now where we're moving away from factory labor as more things become automated and certain elites start to see manufacturing workers as obsolete. It was the same thing back then. It was the farmers used to be everyone was a farmer. And then as people moved towards factories, people started to see farmers as obsolete. And in the late 1890s, the populist party came along and they were a third party, one of the most successful third parties ever in the US. And they became super popular because they stood up for farmers and other people who were getting left behind by the change of the industrial revolution. And their most famous leader was this guy named William Jennings Bryan. Going in to the convention in 1996, nobody had even heard Of William Jennings Bryan, he gave a super famous speech called the cross of gold speech, which we won't get into the nitty gritty, but the farmers were very against the gold standard. And he finished his speech by saying, you shall not press down on the brow of labor, this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind on a cross of gold. And the farmers went crazy and he became a national hero for the the forgotten men and women of that time overnight because he was standing up for the issues of that time, standing up for the people who had been left behind. We draw upon populist movements like this in the past when we try to do the same thing today, which is to protect and stand up for the people who've been left behind by change.
1: So as we continue on this story of how the producing class evolved, you think about slavery ended roughly at the same time as the second industrial revolution began. So electricity and mass production and transportation led to this manufacturing boom. So at that point, the most valuable product was no longer food. Everybody still needed food, but you didn't need as many people to produce it. As a result, millions of Americans moved off their farms and into the cities. So farmers became a smaller percentage of the population. So as Luke mentioned, you that was Your first shift. Factory workers became the primary segment of the producing class, and then the farmers became the forgotten man. But that's only the first time that's happened, and we want to talk about how that's continuing to happen even
0: today. And during this era of manufacturing boom, the US economy boomed as well. In over 80 years, America transformed from a farming society into the most powerful economy worldwide. We were the factory of the world, and the producing class prospered. It was a golden era for the United States. But, of course, the elites tried to exploit the producing class and make labor as cheap as possible. You sell widespread child labor, horrible factory conditions, long work weeks. It was terrible. It was a terrible time to work in a factory. And in the early 1900s, we got what was called the Progressive Era, which means nothing like what we think of progressive, crazy, woke policies today. The Progressive Era back then was actually very religious, very fundamental. And again, was the same theme that when there's these periods of change, people get left behind. And that as factories boomed and expanded and they needed more workers, that there were so many people in the producing class who got exploited by the elites and left behind. And somebody had to stand up and fight for them. That's where we got progressive era heroes like Teddy Roosevelt taking on the big companies and the elites of that time who were exploiting the producing class. We got innovations like the 40-hour work week, like child labor laws, like other labor safety laws that made factories safer, better places to work, made the conditions more humane. A lot of it was driven by a famous book called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, which talked about the horrible conditions in meat packing facilities. The elites take advantage of the times of change in technology in order to exploit people. And it's our job to stand up for the producing class and to make sure that they don't get exploited anymore.
1: So Then let's talk about what happened next. We have this huge producing class of factory workers in America. Since most countries have fewer protections for workers than the U.S., companies can produce goods cheaper by going elsewhere. So As a result, our corporations began sending manufacturing jobs overseas. In the 1950s, over 30% of U.S. jobs were in manufacturing, and today the number is less than 10%. And it's all because of this obsession with cheap labor. It's not caring about the people. It's caring about the bottom line only. So it just so happens that while we were losing millions of jobs, China's manufacturing industry took off. The reason for that, obviously, is unfortunately their workers were and still are subjected to horrible conditions and absurdly low wages. So as a result, thousands of American companies now
0: produce their products in China, including Apple, Tesla, Nike, and a bunch of others. And we want to draw the parallel there. Between the cheap labor in other countries and slavery, which might seem like a bit of a reach, but it's a direct parallel for the elites. What you have is a situation where the elites need massive amounts of labor to produce these valuable products. So they outsource it to other people who they can get to work for them for much cheaper, but at the expense of those other people. Do you think that the people who are working in those factories? In China, do you think their lives are better for working in those factories? Many of those big companies like Apple and Nike actually manufacture their products with literal slaves in the Uyghurs that the China Chinese are using as slaves. So notice the parallel there that the elites are always trying to exploit people and fund cheaper sources of labor, even if it hurts people in the process. Instead, you could build a factory in the United States, pay those people a living wage. And here's
1: why that's important. Because when you build a factory in the United States, it creates thousands of jobs in that area. And the benefits go way beyond just the employees of a particular factory. So for example, a company has to pay a construction company to build the factory. That brings an economic benefit to the community. Construction company has to buy materials from a supplier. The construction company and supplier will pay their own employees. So now you have this ripple effect. And then when the factory opens, you have these employees that are making a good wage that turn around and spend their money at local businesses. So you see how one factory can have this big ripple effect throughout the economy. And that's why manufacturing is so important. Imagine how much more you would make and how much more prosperous your community would be if those factories had never left. If, if we still had a manufacturing-based economy. Yeah, we can keep all the knowledge workers. That's awesome. We can keep all of the people in finance. We can keep all the people in entertainment and all of these knowledge industries in software engineering, tech startups, all of that we should have that too, but we should have the manufacturers. They have what's called a multiplier effect. One manufacturing job, you pay $1 to a manufacturing worker. That's not just $1 in your community. That money blooms within the community because it's being spent at various businesses and it makes communities much healthier.
0: And in fact, the Alliance for American Manufacturing has actually discovered that durable manufacturing, one job created in durable manufacturing creates seven and a half new jobs in other industries just because of the multiplier effect it has within the community. That's, by the way, by far more than any other industry. For comparison, one new retail job only creates one new job in another industry. That's why manufacturing is so important to the economy. So what we had is the farmers then became US factory
1: workers. And then those US factory workers, those jobs were outsourced overseas. So then the elite said, well, don't worry, we're going to replace it with knowledge
0: workers. And that's where we are today knowledge workers tend to be more white collar jobs, the type of people who might be more likely to be in the virtuals category. These are jobs like engineers, IT technicians, accountants, entrepreneurs. And over the next few decades, knowledge employees will continue to grow their majority share of the producing class. That's important to remember. They might not be what we think of when we think of the traditional working class, but they are still the producing class. An engineer is still taking part in the production process. They're helping bring value into the world by designing new things, and the elites want to exploit them just as much as they wanted to exploit the producing class in the past. So will blue-collar workers disappear? Of course not. Just like the farmers, they will become a smaller portion of the workforce, but they will still be just as important as any time in the past. We would never want to replace factory jobs completely. Many jobs are impossible to automate, and our society simply couldn't operate without these people. For example, replacing plumbers or electricians with machines just isn't going to happen. And on that note, if you don't have a college degree, the trades are a fantastic career. You can make way more as a tradesman than many college graduates ever will. So this whole thing never ends.
1: What used to be called the working class gets abused. And then we're told that, well, don't worry because there's this knowledge worker, white collar class, the manager, cl- managerial class, they're going to be fine. They're the future of the economy. But the whole point we're trying to make here is no job is safe from the elites. So you think like, where does this whole evolution of the producing class leave knowledge workers? So the growth of knowledge work has often been promoted as superior to those quote unquote dirty jobs. It supposedly has higher pay and greater opportunities. But guess what? The elites are doing the exact same thing to the knowledge workers as they did to previous generations. They are trying to cut you out of the production process now, and they're accomplishing it with the help of, wait for it, China. Who would have guessed? So they've already given away, the elites have already given away our manufacturing jobs. So why not also give away the knowledge jobs too? China is now one of the world's most innovative countries. They graduate almost 10 times more STEM students than the United States. So while they have a larger population, they're not 10 times larger. And many of these graduates are now taking jobs that could have gone to US employees. And what used to be happening to manufacturing workers is now happening to knowledge workers. So even worse, the elites have a long-term plan to permanently replace knowledge workers. According to IBM, AI, quote, leverages computers and machines to mimic the problem-solving and decision-making capabilities of the human mind, end quote. Their plan is to keep developing AI till it can do as much as possible. And they so believe in this that they're already planning something called universal basic income. The reason that's a discussion is because they actually wholeheartedly believe that we are, so many of us are going to get thrown out of jobs that they're going to need to figure out how the government could just cut us checks so that we can survive because there's going to be no jobs for us to do. So it is completely, when you hear someone talk about UBI, what they're basically telling you is we have plans to have a computer do your job in the future. And don't worry, we'll take care of you. It's the perfect elitist framework for the world. Let us find the cheapest labor possible, in this case, a computer, which I don't have to pay anything, let me make all the profits from it, and
0: I'll take a piece of my profits and write you a check so that there isn't some kind of uprising. That's the elite's vision for the economy. Now here's our vision. Our vision of an America-first economy is one where everyone in the producing class is valued and prospers, whether you're on the factory floor or in an office building. The perceived separation between blue-collar workers and white-collar professions isn't relevant anymore. We're all on the same team. Yes, the nature of the job is different, but our hopes and dreams are the same. We're all a part of the producing class. The real separation is between the producing class and the elites. And while we can't get back all the years of prosperity that we lost, we can build a new prosperity. We have the talent, the work ethic, and the great American values to do this. Whether you're a farmer, a blue-collar worker, or a knowledge employee, We all draw from the legacy of the hardworking, producing class, men and women who built America. Let's band together and build an America where the producing class calls the shots. This is the way. This is the way. Thanks for joining us on Main Street Insiders. It would mean a lot to us if you subscribe and share this podcast so that more Main Streeters can discover how to live more, spend less, and own their future. Visit MainStreetInsiders.com to receive our free weekly newsletter, get show notes, and download our guide to the top four principles of a healthy and vibrant America-first economy. Until next time, God bless and God bless America.